I mean, you can't be wearing a Jumpman on your shoe and suck, you know? You really have to live up to the legend that is Mike um, because there there aren't a lot of athletes who get to have that honor, and I, and I took that on as, like, okay, we have to go out here and put on a show every time we, you know, step on the track. Welcome to Playing Business. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm Dan Gardner. During season one of Playing Business, we sat down with professional athletes, sports commentators, league owners, and one of the world's most prolific climbers to ask the question, can success in sport translate to success in business? Guys, I'm pumped. We finally were able to get to one of my friends, Corey Carter, former world champion in track and field turned Jordan Van athlete. We go deep into how she maintained her athlete image in today's world of social media. She also shares some insights into what propelled her to the pro level and what influenced her growing up. Later in the conversation, she unveils her latest venture, Coached. Discusses the challenges of leaving the world of sports and entering the world of business. Let's get into it. Action. Rolling speed. Action. Story of Jordan Brand. Let's get it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Story of Jordan Brand. um, Really interesting and really anticlimactic. Um, I uh, went pro after my junior year of college and I actually had no plans to go pro. I just was focused on running fast and I was running some like crazy times for junior year. And so my dad was doing some research research behind the scenes, but he didn't really tell me anything, which is probably a good thing because I was just focused on winning championships. Um, So yeah, I signed with Nike, which was like dream come true. Um, Just like being that kid who wanted to be like her favorite athletes and when I signed, my agent was kind of like, you know, there's this Jordan brand deal. It might happen. It may it may not happen. It might happen in five years. Like, who knows? And I was like, okay, didn't think about it. Um, and then one day, um, Deshaun, you'll, you know, like the Nike Elite, there's like a secret website that um, like Nike athletes can go on and use Monopoly money to buy gear. And my brother-in-law was trying to get some J's, um, ironically, and my account wasn't working. So I call like customer service and I'm like, hey, something's going wrong with my account. My brother is trying to get these really cool J's. And they're like, oh, yeah, no problems. Like your account got switched over to Jordan Brand. It'll be up and running on Monday. And I was like, that's weird. I call my agent. I'm like, I think I might be a Jordan athlete. And he was like, no, if you were, they would have told us. Like there would have been discussions. I was like, okay. He calls me back and he's like, yep, you're Jordan Brandon. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And it was like the biggest blessing I could have ever had because, you know, it's a very small roster. So I got to do a lot of cool things like go with you to the south of France. Um, but yeah, dream come true. Um, that just kind of happened. Yeah, for, for me, you know, in, in the NFL, that, that was like the pinnacle of a deal. You know, like you're, you're not going to make as much money on the, on the cash contract, but you're going to get every pair of J's that comes out. You're going to be a part of this family. For you, you know, com- coming up through the track scene, was that like, is that the pinnacle of, of, of you know, deals that you can possibly get? Honestly, I didn't even think of it as an option. I was like, there were, there was like Mandy, um, but Mandy um, White, she is the daughter of Howard White, who like built the pole Jordan brand and that, and April Holmes. But those were the only two track athletes before like me, Eric Kennard and, and Brigitte came in. So I didn't even think of that as an option. It was, you know, you go Nike, Adidas, um, maybe Under Armour. Um, but yeah, to me, after I signed, everyone was like, how did you do that? How did you do that? 
do that? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and also just being one of the first female athletes on the brand um, was really cool. So I didn't know it was an option, but yeah, after it became a thing, I, it definitely to me was the pinnacle. It, does it, when do you go, wow, like, you know, realize like this is happening, you know, it's like Michael Jordan is, you know, the goat, the Jordan brand is the goat. And now you're, I, it seems with Michael Jordan in the South of France, part of the Jordan brand, you know, does it, does it event, does Michael Jordan eventually just become Mike? And does the fact that you're part of Jordan brand just become, yeah, of course. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Cause you're like, do you call him like MJ? Do you call him, do you call him like your airness? Um, <laughs> and it's funny cause I've never been around someone who like, you hear about some people having like auras. I've never been around someone until I walked in a room, MJ's in the, in the building, and you see all of these athletes at the top of their game. And I'm looking around the room at like Mello, uh, like Griffin, and I'm just like, we're all here because of him. Like he built this brand out of his greatness, but also out of his business mindset. Um, so it's a really humbling experience. Um, and also kind of like this weight on you when you go out on the track because I mean you can't be wearing a jump man on your shoe and suck you know you really have to live up to the legend that is Mike um because there there aren't a lot of athletes who get to have that honor and I and I took that on as like okay we have to go out here and put on a show every time we you know step on the track so before we get to this, the I, I want to dive so much deeper into that because obviously, as you know, my, my whole business is is kind of built off of those experiences, you know, being a part of their board of governors, going to these trips, you know, getting that inside look as to, you know, how a single uh, uh, athlete can create a completely global brand, a billion dollar brand, you know, and that, that, that has, has once again uh, been my backbone into what I'm doing. And I, I kind of want to see if there's any similar experiences with you, but before we get too far into the business side of it, you know, let's let's go before that. You know, you 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 absolutely dominate in high school. Um, you pick up, you know, uh, you pick up your your run, uh, being the, the the 400 hurdles, and you get an opportunity to go to some some random school out in the West Coast uh, that, that happens to to play a little bit of football and, and lose quite a bit to us. But uh, oh, no, you saying. end up at Stanford. Get, get, t- tell me the story of how you end up at Stanford. Yeah. Um, Stanford was always kind of the dream. I wanted a place where I could challenge myself academically and also be able to compete at the highest level. Um, it's funny, I was raised by Trojans. Um, and my dad told me, if you go to USC, they'll think of you as fast. If they, if you go to Stanford, they'll think of you as smart. And I also think that's like looking forward. That's probably one of the reasons why I ended up at Jordan Brand. Like, um, just because the Stanford brand meant meant so much. Um, but yeah, I was running fast in high school. Um, I met Coach Flo, who was at the time the head coach at, at Stanford. And he was just someone I knew I could run for. He was someone that I knew was going to push me to be great, but also someone who was also going to um, push me in the classroom, um, which to me was really important because I think – I didn't really plan on going pro in track. Um, and I knew that the day, like, sports was going to come to an end. And so I really invested in my education, which is something that my parents stressed my entire childhood. Um, so, yeah, to me, there was no other place I could go because 
it was utopia. Like you you weren't going to get the best of both worlds in animals. Can I ask about that? You didn't think you were going to pro. I think you once said that, you know, you thought you were going to be an astronaut or a superhero. Um, once, once in your, in your life. So uh, why didn't you think you were going to go pro or why didn't you want to go pro? Is it, was it cause you wanted to prioritize business or education and sport was secondary or is it, you know, are there other reasons and factors into that? Um, I no, sport, sport was never secondary in my life. I think I didn't say I want to be an astronaut or a superhero, I, but as a kid, being a professional athlete is like saying, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a superhero. It is just such a rarity and there's no guarantees. Um, and also tracks, not like basketball or football. You have the draft. And, and so I just really didn't understand the business of track and field growing up. I saw the Olympics and that's something I wanted to do. And I, I saw like professional meets, but I just never put like two and two together. Um, and then it's just also you have to be the 1% of the 1% to make it. Um, and I was winning at like, you know, in middle school and high school and even in, in college, but it just seemed like such a far away goal um, that that just w- wasn't where I was. I was, tr- I guess I was being realistic, which is something that normally I'm not, but yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because, you know, for me in, in my story, it was, it was, you know, what the heck are you doing? You know, you got everything in the world being a professional quarterback, not, not only, you know, a professional football player, but a quarterback, you're the guy, you know? So for me to be thinking about things outside of just, you know, being great at ball ultimately was, you know, that pressure that I felt that, that I was doing something wrong by doing that was probably my reason on leaving. I just thought that there was something that was a, a bit shallow and thinking that um, you weren't allowed to think about business or think about things off the field for you, you know, in track in particular, you know, it, it's not it's not too crazy to to be as dominant as you were at that time, but have no real pro aspirations. But there's so there's a lot of people who may have taken the path that you might have taken or had the same thought train that you've taken. But what you've done is completely different than most. You know, you've not only thought about what you're doing off the off the track, but then also have excelled at the highest level. You know, going to Stanford and choosing you know the the, the smart over speed. From there, obviously signing with the best brand that you can possibly sign with and making a state statement there. And now you, you know, you're calling in right now from a, a Wharton studio as you continue to kind of push that limit outside of that. It, where, where does that come from? Is that was that was that, you know, the the the, the Trojan family that you're with? Yeah, and to your point about feeling like I did have that feeling of it's all or nothing with sports once I became a pro, right? So it's like if I'm over here doing something else, someone's out here grinding to make sure they beat me. So I think once you get to that elite, elite level and where getting first or seconds is hundreds, tenths of seconds, I, I do feel that you do feel that need to go 100 percent all in. But as far as like my aspirations outside of the track, um, yeah, I think it was a family that I was raised in. Um, and the sisters that I had, I, I always wanted to be like my sisters. I have two older sisters, Kai and Kelly, and they're probably better athletes than me. They're much smarter than me, um, but they kind of normalize excellence in my household. So my sister Kai went to Harvard and Brown. So I thought going to Ivy League school is what you do. My sister played D1 soccer. I thought, you know, playing at that level was just something that you could do. Um, and I'm so grateful for like the kind of roadmap that they put out for me and making me think that I could literally do anything. Um, 
And I think my parents also at the same time, my dad and my mom really stressed education. So we weren't allowed to watch TV on weekdays. It was either so you could do your homework or you could go outside and play play ball. Like those were your two options. Um, and my mom was my high school counselor. So she really stressed education. And she also like gave me books about black women. If I was playing softball, we were going to learn about the Negro Leagues. If I got into um, science, we were going to learn about, you know, someone, a woman who was in science. She just always took my interest and, and showed me women that were doing it on an elite level so that I could just see myself doing those things too. Um, but yeah, my dad also just was, it's funny because I, at the time I didn't realize he was being really hard on us, but I remember he, he, I asked him to like grade my essay once and he just ripped it up and was like, I'm not even going to bother grading this because it's so bad. Like just start over, you know? And it was always that like, you can do better. Um, so yeah, they they just had really high expectations. Like if you weren't getting straight A's, it was a problem. <laughs> um, but I I I say that um saying that they gave me a big support system so that those those expectations could be met. And like I say all the time, if I if I wasn't capable, their the expectations and the standards they had for me would be really cruel. Um, but I am capable. And so them pushing me only made me better because I knew they knew I could rise to the occasion. Do you ever relax? Like even right now, you're like, you know, at school, starting a business, you know, leave some some work at Nike. You ever just like, oh, I just want to watch some TV. Yeah. I mean, I think every person needs to like decompress and like, you know, self-care. But also I think that like for me, I know I'm driven by accomplishment. I know I'm driven by doing things. Um, I see myself as a lifelong learner. So like my t- hobby is like learning a new skill or learning a new subject. Um, it's really fun being as a student right now because I get to be a complete nerd and my classmates sometimes probably like think I'm really weird because I like last week we had this case on Trader Joe's and I just got so excited because I was just, they're doing things right over there. <laughs> but I just really love learning. And so I think, um, I listened to this podcast once. This is a weird tangent, but it was about this guy who did the Iditarod, but he didn't have any money. And so he couldn't afford like the fast dogs, but he could afford this dog that just wouldn't stop. And just even when he chained him up, he chained up, he just go in circles. And they ended up winning the Iditarod because he that was their lead dog and that dog never stopped. And he, the dog loved to run. And that was kind of me. It's just like, I love to grind. I love to learn. I love to do. Um, and so I kind of see, that's kind of how I see myself. It's like, I might be the fastest, the smartest, the biggest, the tallest, but I'm a, I'm going to work. And that's what I love to do. Well, and you never thought to run the marathon? Like the marathon. I Fun fact, I hate running. <laughs> <laughs> I loved hurdling and I loved winning. And running was a necessary evil. But I, now that I'm done with track, I don't, I don't even run like, like a light jog anymore. Well, uh, that, you bring up an interesting question. We've been talking a lot about, you know, the overall fan experience and insurgent sports and, you know, the established sports. And there's something interesting about, you know, track and field and hurdling specifically that if you were to invent a live event today, you wouldn't do a two or three hour event. You wouldn't do like quarter, you know, halves of 45 minutes or quarters of 15 minutes. You'd be like, let's do something really fast 
really interesting, you know, really dramatic, something where you can build personalities around. And it's hard to not think that track and field in hurdling specifically is actually the perfect sport in the modern way that maybe people want to actually engage with, you know, dramatic sports. So I'm curious you're thinking around that because obviously you're, you were at the highest level of that and how you're thinking about that in, in the landscape of sports that are unfolding. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I kind of fell in love with the dichotomy of hurdling. It's you're powerful but graceful at the same time. You have to like be very quick but also be very technical. I say it's the one event that's track and field together. Um, and I think that you're right that the format of track and field lends itself to being a sport that I think could really bring in, in fans and consumers and and there is a lot of personalities. I think there needs to be more storytelling around track and field because unlike, you know, other sports where if you play basketball and you're in LA, like you are a Lakers fan, you might be a Clippers fan, but you're wrong. Um, but there's no, there's no hometown loyalty when it comes to track. And so the only thing you can really go off is excellence, right? And what happens when an athlete isn't on, do you still have that fan base? And the only way to really build that um, like is to create connections between the athletes and the fans of the sport. And that's to me d- done through storytelling. So to me, track and field has some of the most amazing athletes in the, on the world. Um, but people don't know their stories. And I think they're far more interesting than what they do on the track. Um, just being able to talk to my peers and like really learn what they've been through, what they overcome, what they do when they're not running, jumping, or throwing. Um, something I think our sport could do a lot better. And do, how do you think, one thing we've also spoken a lot about is the uh, idea and, or opportunity, and clearly the trend has went this way, where uh, athletes can be their own personalities, their own brand, you know, you know, brand is, a person is brand in, in a way. Um, but that comes with positives and negatives. And in the case that you're talking about, there could be lots of positives for the sport, but it also brings negatives. I'm, I'm kind of curious your perspective. I know that I, I believe you once said that you think of social media as business media and obviously as an athlete where you have to drive your own brand. I'm just curious your thoughts around that. Yeah, I think especially in the like age of social media. So I think the dynamics of sports marketing has changed, right? So before you would have brands and that is a platform through which an athlete could speak and, you know, uh, get visibility, right? Now athletes can build their own platforms through social media and they can really leverage that to help brands. And so like, I think one brands need to understand that like this, the landscape has changed and also athletes need to understand like that's also part of like their job now. To be honest, when I first came out, like that was something I didn't want to do because I felt like there was a lot of work that needed to be done in order to win because it is so competitive. Um, you're talking about making sure you're hitting marks that are this far from this close away the hurdle versus this far away from the hurdle can really dictate whether I win or lose, right? And so to me, that was something that I didn't really lean into at the beginning of my career. And I wish I probably would have done more of. But um, yeah, I think being an athlete also means you're kind of an influencer now. And 
I think it really is up to the athlete to figure out how far they want to take that and and then balance that also with making sure you execute because at the end of the day, most brands care about medals and times. They don't, they're starting to care about followers, but especially when it comes to like the Olympics, like no one's going to want to back you if you're not on the team, you know? So well, it's, it's interesting because the Olympics care about time, but brands also care about bigger narratives. So it's the, and it's hard enough to make the Olympics. I think more than ever right now, we, we have, have really, uh, def- or, or, or put an exclamation point on the concept that sports are entertainment. You know, drive to surprise, drive to survive the F or the the uh, Netflix F one show. Um, you know everything that's happening with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and all the eyes that are coming from that. At the end of the day, the, the a, a successful business has to drive revenue. That revenue comes from eyes. In order to get eyes, you kind of have to have a story, and, and you got to be able to entertain people. So it's been very clear to see how some other sports have um, embraced that and and you know, uh, bent their former standards to, to make sense for today's entertainment. Um, once again, with the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift thing, you, I just don't think it would have went that way if it was 20 years ago. Like where, where's track at today? Like what, where, where, where I, I guess maybe give us the basics of like, what, what, what is professional track? You know, yeah. I, I, we know the Olympics. Most people know the Olympics. I don't think the average person understands what it's like to be a professional outside of, you know, every four years. Yeah. And I think that's, part of it is people don't understand even like like I said I didn't even really consider going pro because I didn't understand how the business worked um so um like I said there's no draft you just like hopefully get a shoot contract um but there's a lot of people who are unsponsored still like technically a professional athlete and there's a whole we can go down a whole different rabbit hole on like kind of just the disparity of uh salaries within track and field um, but the way track works is there's kind of like, I would say, so there's the diamond league, which you could equate to like your major leagues. Right. And those are a series of track meets through, um, throughout the world, throughout the, the season, you pick up points by, um, winning at those meets where you place. Right. And then how, how many, how many of those are we talking? Like every couple months, every couple weeks. So every, it's like every, it's like every week, pretty much, um, depending. And then like, they kind of take a break during um like championship season so they kind of run at the same time so it's like you have like this pro season that's going on but then you also have to at some point um during the year go to your national championships to make the world or olympic team so if you're top three um in most events then you'll go to worlds um so then like you have the pro season then you're like making the team you're going to world or olympics and then after that then you'll like finish up the rest of the diamond league season and then have the diamond league championships there's also just like within that other levels of meets so there's um like world challenge challenge meets and then also sometimes i need a race just to get ready for world championships or my diamond league and so i might run at a college meet just to get some reps in um, so that's part of, I think the issue with people understanding, like what is a professional track and field athletes, because there are so many levels and the elite play at every single one. Um, and it's also like, just because there's a diamond league meet does not mean I'm going to get into that meet because there are nine lanes and you're talking about women from all around the world who are competing to just get into that meet. Um, so 
hopefully I'm making sense on like how. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. Because my, my next question off of that is like, is, is, is that the right way? Like, is, is that, is that working? You know, is it, is it, is it growing? Do, do, do you, like as you are now transitioning and spending some time studying business and evaluating what business looks like, is like, is that the right way to do it? I think that yes and no. I think the Diamond Leagues offer like this really localized format of like ingesting track and field at the highest level, right? And also allows you to like follow athlete stories throughout the years and it culminates in the Diamond League, right? I do think that we need to have more domestic meets because the majority of the races are in Europe, right? So being able to build a home base here. Um, and then why is that? Sorry, why is that? Why 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 are the races in Europe? Is there, is there a bigger market out there? They're making more money out there. Um, I think probably there is a bigger market. Like when I think about running at meets um, here in the U.S., unless I'm in Eugene, Oregon, um, the fan base, and I I wouldn't say there's not track fans all across America. I just think like the marketing to get fans in the stadium and like build these events to be like at the level of like if you go to a basketball game like the showmanship that comes with it is just it's just different um where when i'm in monaco like we talked about and i am running on the home stretch there's literally flames of fire going up when as i'm running you know going over hurdles so there's just this um like i said sense of showmanship um and there's also i think because the diamond league has been there so long like people expect they know when the meet's coming up that it's part of the culture there where like you could have a meet like there's like a meet in atlanta and people like don't know you know so i just think that there needs to be better storytelling t- telling better marketing and like building that fan base here at home so that way you're, you're not just turning in for the olympics and like we have a world's um in like the four-year cycle like two of those years are world championship year one year is an olympic year and one year's off year i do think that that fourth year should be a world championship year like no other sport is taking a year off um to have like their biggest um event of the year i'm not here to say i know all the answers to, to fix track and field but you I know it's interesting it's interesting because uh uh i did some work with uh the NBC olympics and mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of thinking around how do you engage fandom on sports where people just check out for multiple years and then they come in and they just get absolutely obsessed and then it's over. So finding ways to, you know, uh, continue to create that, create that cycle. And if you think about, you know, like NFL or NBA, you know, they've been masters at refining over decades now of how to telecast it, how to produce it. And they're still refining. We see like yeah. with the MLB with the pitch clock. Um, you know, we, we talked about this bit with Ali Wagner, you know, with, uh, women's soccer, how, you know, they're just getting to a place where they're, they're able to refine the yeah. production of it to be competitive, um, exactly. at, a, at a high level. So to the earlier point, it seems like, you know, track and field is actually set up for today's behavior. And it, it seems like with some continued refinement, you could be playing at that level. If, as you could tell, you know, our, our position today in looking at, you know, kind of the, the uh, relationship or, or, or sorry, the, the, the comparison between um, kind of the major leagues that are out there and, and, you know, how they're all still kind of making some adjustments. It feels a little bubbly. These crazy valuations are happening and it just looks like there's just, there's just 
it's great and it's strong, but it looks like there, there might just be something that's ready to, to pop there. And then you look at these other leagues that have the same attention and, and love and, and respect as those from the, from a sport level, a pure sport level as those other leagues yet as a business and as a league, you know, there, there's so much more room to grow. So, you know, whether it's women's soccer or the MLS and some of the things that we're seeing that, that just, you can't, you can't, you know, watch TV without, thinking that something's getting ready to happen there. Um, track is, is it, I don't, I don't think that there's a story right now that, that, that shows us that, that gets yeah. us all excited about that. Like, Oh, track is another one of those things like pickleball or, or even, and, and I know, and no correlation at all, obviously not even close, but there's so many other things that are getting light. You know, why, why, why isn't track? What, what, what is it missing that, that, you know, could, could put it in the same conversation as some of these other insurgent sports. I'm laughing because you keep mentioning like the word league, and although we have like the Diamond League, that is a series series of of uh, individualized meets that are owned by meet directors, and they they coordinate together. But there's no like these are the people who are running in in like the league, and you'll see them at, at every. It's it's the product chain is constantly changing, right? And it's also hard because this is an international sport, so you're dealing with people from all over the world. So like. Like, even as athletes, it's hard to, like, come together and, like, there's no, like, it's hard to, like, have a players union, right? Because you have so many different interests involved. Um, and, like, unlike basketball, where it's like, okay, if as a team we get together and we all elevate, right? It's like, if you do better, you're taking food off of my table because, <laughs> and so, it's it's hard to I think make like a coordinated effort together just because like even like I'm on the if I'm on the US world team, right? Yeah, technically that girl is my teammate, but she's also probably my main competition. And you know, or if you even if you're not in my event, if you win, that has nothing to do with me, right? So there's no like uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um common there's there's not a lot of common interests to help elevate the sport as a collective. And I think once we figure that piece out, like we can figure out what direction needs to go to like elevate the sport so we can get everyone to like really decide we're going to work together to bring track and field to that next level. But it's hard when you have so many different moving pieces whose interests aren't always aligned. But there, but there is something. Like you, yeah. you feel, you feel, you feel like there's something that, that can happen where th- this can be just as entertaining and just as demanding and, and rewarding as some of these other professional sports for you know, yeah. the next generation of athletes. Yeah. Like there are crazy things going on, on the track. Like every time Sydney McLaughlin laces up her spikes, a world record's getting broken. Like Noah Lyles is one of the most entertaining people that you will ever see. Right. I think we have. And you're watching just like extraordinary feats being done all the time at like the purest level of sport. Like who can run the fastest, who can throw the farthest, who can jump the farthest, highest, you know? So to me, I think the product itself is great. It's how do we package it? Well, yeah, to that point, you know, a little uh, different route. I'd love to hear about what you're doing with coach because it seems like that is an extension where you're taking, you know, 
uh, maybe access to high level coaching to people that maybe wouldn't know how to get that access, which probably is the start of fandom in it coming actually starting earlier. So I'd love to hear a little about about that. Yeah. So I came to business school with no intent of starting a business. And I took a class called innovation, which is all about like the early stage ideation. How do you think about different business models? And it's also a competition-based class. So you basically go through rounds and every round, 50% of the class is getting dropped. And you then if you get dropped, join a team. And thought up this idea for Coached and we won every round. And I was like, maybe this is a thing, you know, if I'm at for one business school and we're, we're coming out on top every round. Um, so Coach basically is a platform where users can upload videos of themselves competing for training and then get one-on-one video analysis from their sports hero. So you're basically getting coached by Olympians. Um, and the idea came from two of my past lives. One was, you know, the little girl who would have done anything to have Don Harper Nelson tell me how to get faster. And then there was me on the pro level who like got so many DMs from people being like, how can I get faster? How do I get better at hurdles? And I'm like, without seeing you hurdle, um, there's not much I can do other than to tell you to work hard and to listen to your coach and, you know, like eat your vegetables. Um, and so the idea was, okay, how do we build a tool that helps athletes communicate with their fans and pass out, pass down like all this sports IQ that you have, right? in a way that's like really simple and easy. Um, And so that's how Coach was born, right? Right now we have like a a roster of um, like like 10 or 12 athletes now. We're we're adding, we're trying to add all the time. Um, But these athletes are Olympic gold medalists, world champions, American record holders. So people that you are the best at what they do, and having access to, to them in a, in a completely new way and being able to access what really makes them great. Um, so, yeah, that was really how Coach was born. And I'm, I'm really excited about growing it. Um, it's a sports tech business, and I have no technical background, so that's been fun, just, like, learning how do you find people that can build your vision and help you along the way, and then how do you then – you know, communicate to consumers this product that is new and educate them on how it can be a benefit to them and really refine that value prop. But yeah, it's been a really fun process, just solving problems every day. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I love it. Like I, I, obviously we've, we've gotten deep in it a little bit and I look forward to, you know, staying close to you around the idea because there's, there's a, there's a clear market and there's a clear problem for um, on the athlete side, I can speak from it from your supply side and saying that, you know, we as athletes, you know, you you come to that end of your career. You know, I know we all saw the, 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 the you know, NCAA commercials uh, of how many people go pro and something other than sports, you know, like that, that's, we all have an end. And at that end, there's a, there's a big decision of how connected you want to say to the sport. I think that as the more I talk to other professional athletes, the more I realize that a lot of people share the same thoughts as me. You get out of the sport. I don't want anything to do with it. Like you said, you don't run. You know, I'm not, I'm not out here just trying to go play catch or play flag football or play in your Turkey bowl. No, I don't want anything to do with, it. I just spent, you know, majority of my life, you know, committing to that. Now it's time for something else. That said, having, you know, an easy way to stay connected in an on-demand fashion where it's like, all right, I want to dive in this week. And just like, you know, I just got done watching some highlights or I watched a game on Sunday and I'm you know, kind of like feeling the football spirits. Well, here's a little outlet for me to be able to, to make it a very, you know, a big impact on someone who's trying to take a similar path to me. 
so I see the problem and, and I see that there, there's a, a, a real demand for the athletes on our side. I'm just curious, you know, like how, 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 how excited are you? How serious are you with it? How, how, how excited are you for it? Is this something that you like, you, is, is the dream to be an entrepreneur and this, and this is it, or is, is right now, are we still in transition mode and, you know, trying to lock in your degree and you're trying to leave all options on the table. And this is, you know, one of those, you know, clear cut options. Yeah. That's putting me on the spot there. Um, I think for me, when I applied to business school, you have to do a lot of like introspection and figure out, okay, like, why do I actually want to go to business school? Why do I want to get this degree? What? And to me, the question that kept coming up is like, what problem do I want to solve? Like, what is a problem in the world that I have like u- unique skills that I can help to solve this problem? But then going to business school, what tools do I need to go get and so that I can actually build something that can attack this problem, right? And to me, I really just wanted to elevate women in sport. I think society is better when girls play sports, and I can tell you all the the research behind that as to why it's so impactful. And I wanted to help athletes, right? And so in building Coach, I got to solve two problems at once, which is, you know, like I said, that little girl who just wants to get better. And little boys, you know. Um, and then also, there's being an athlete to me always was a job, not a career. I knew at some point, like an injury or just time was going to take me out. And I think a lot of athletes look up and they're like, okay, I, I dedicate my entire life to this craft, right? And refining it at the expense of not getting other skills, right? And so, how do I take all this knowledge that I still have, even if my body can't go out and execute and tap into that? And so to me, I think as an entrepreneur, you can't be so attached to the solution because who knows, maybe someone comes in and they build something and they take us out. Okay. Maybe, and maybe I find, you know, product market fit isn't that great and I have to pivot. I can't be so attached to the solution, but I am attached to the problem. And to me, it's figuring out how do I help athletes? That That is kind of my mission. And I can say I'm very much committed to that. Um, how I go about doing that is is the question in the air. But I'm really excited about Coach because I think it is a great product. And I think that it can really help create connections between young athletes and elite athletes. Um, and I think also just like, like I said, there's a lot of financial instability with being a professional athlete and be able to help athletes create new sources of revenue. Something I'm really passionate about. Unbelievable answer. I really commend your your thought process in that because it's it's true. There's, there's a real problem that you're looking to solve. There's a million ways to solve it. Right now, you don't have to have the perfect way. You're not You're not sitting there with five investors that are, you know, trying to make sure that your revenue is growing, you know, month over month or whatever that may be. So I, I really, I'm, I'm excited to hear uh, where that lands because I, I, once again, I, the problem you're solving is real. I see it as an athlete. We've, we've, we've talked about it a bunch. Um, and I, I, I really, you know, worry about the next generation of athletes getting their coaching from, you know, TikTok and Instagram from some people who really don't understand it. And I think that, you know, getting, our, our generation that understands the technology, understands how social works, but also has, you know, roots in, you know, 
doing being a purist and doing it for the love of the game um, is, is kind of on us to, to to bridge that next generation into the right way to do things. Uh, I don't it's, know what the right way is anymore because you know NIL changes things. Uh, yeah. uh, recruiting, getting paid, you know that all that's all that's all completely different. So I don't know what the answer is, but all I can do is is understand and empathize with where they're at today, and obviously try to you know share some of the lessons that I learned before the the, the climate change towards you know, how many followers you have and how much money you're making versus, you know, getting a good degree and, you know, representing a university in the, in the best light. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, there's that saying that, you know, like average athletes make the best coaches. And while I think that's kind of true, I think the reality is it's average, like average athletes can coach average athletes. I think great athletes know how to coach great athletes because yes, I fundamentally am not supposed to be a coach of someone who is not going to go out there and grind every day. I am not, I don't have the empathy for that, right? But if you want to be great, I know how you think. I know how to take, like, um, Coach Flo was my coach um, my freshman year, sophomore year, and he left my junior year. And Coach Flo was an amazing athlete. And he fundamentally did not understand when he told you to do something, your body not registering how to do it because his body knew how to do things. And we had a new coach come in and he was great. And I think I felt like a lot of our, I heard about a lot of my teammates, he, was like, he knows how to break things down and he understands when I don't get things because he struggled with things too. And I went back to Coach Flo as soon as I could, but it was because it's like, I think great athletes know how champions tick. And so, yeah, I can't come, I can't come down there and, and, and be like, yeah, Phil, you, you don't want to do that extra rep. Like it's hard. I, I, I know I could only teach dogs. I could only coach dogs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're with coaches going to be able to access to. So, yeah. You want to learn fundamentals? Go to the TikTok, YouTube. You want to learn how to win at the highest level? You might want to ask one who knows what it takes to get there. I have to ask about business school in that context. You know, you're an entrepreneur now. You're also at business school. You know, how do you think about being the best entrepreneur, being the best business person? In context to people, you know, there's the old saying, those who do, do those who don't teach. But you've, I, it, you have such a heavy emphasis on education. I'm curious about that same mentality about like the great teach the greats is the best to teach the greats. And, you know, the context of entrepreneurism and education. Yeah, like, I think there's two things. Like one, I think being an entrepreneur, you have to do. Like there are so many people with pitch decks and they've, got their mock-ups and everything. And it's like, you haven't done anything. And I think when I really got into the weeds of things, I was like, okay, like I have this idea for this product and I've mapped it out how it's going to work. But then when I really got in there and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get this video and have people upload it. Okay. Where does it upload to? How do I get it back to them? What does the email look like? And when you actually start doing things, as opposed to building pitch decks, you really learn how to create a product. And you actually learn things like, oh, what I thought was going to work doesn't actually make any sense in real life because people don't actually behave that way because I've just been whiteboarding all day. So I think as an entrepreneur, like getting in the weeds is important. I also think that it's really important to lean on experts and and learn from people who've done it before and, and get frameworks that you can apply to your product so that you're not just you know, going out and trying everything and not having like a, a method to your madness. And I think business school has allowed me to talk to my professors who are leaders in their industries and be like, hey, 
my like I have a class project on consumer behavior, and I told my group we're doing doing it on my on my company, I'm, and, and I'm using I'm using all the resources I have here to like you. I don't I never built my weight program. I never built my training program. I had coaches for that, right? So it's like I know what I need to do to go execute, but I also know, recognize that there are people who are a lot smarter than me who can help me on my way, who can who can get me up that learning curve a lot quicker. So I think you have to kind of build while the train is going down the track, but it's also important to like, you know, open up a book on how to, how to build a train, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I, don't I, I, uh, it's interesting. Like where you're getting at here is that the, the, the separation in professional athletes, maybe this is probably to your earlier point, the separation of professional athletes typically has to do with mindset. doesn't have to do with training. doesn't have to do with how much you spend on it. doesn't have to do with, you know, how well you do things. We all do it a little bit differently to get to the same spot, but it's all about mindset. And when you're in, in school and you're trying to apply that same mindset to your, your cohort that you're around, it, it, it's the real world doesn't tick the way we tick. They, they can't talk, you know, and take some of the things that we say and, and know how to, you know, brush it off and continue to move forward. So I, you know, I, it's, it's at the, at the best, you know, business school in the world right now. Do, like, do, do you feel like you have to as you transition out of that professional mindset, do you have to like tame that down? Or are you, are you still trying to, you know, use that as your competitive edge? Exactly. I think that's my secret superpower, right? So it's like, I can learn the frameworks, right? I can learn how to read a P&L. I can learn, you know, all of these things that my classmates have learned. But when it comes to performing at an elite level, when it comes to like, we have a class called grit. And I was like, that's the one class I don't need to take because I know what it means to like show up every day and grind it out and look at myself and figure out what my weaknesses are and be honest with myself and knowing that, okay, there's things you have to work on. Um, I think that's what makes me special. Right. And especially with building a product like coach, right. It's like, I know my consumer so well on the supply and the demand side just because like I, I live that life as like that little kid who wanted to get better. I've lived that life of a professional athlete. I know what makes us tick. Um, and I think for a lot of athletes, you don't realize how many skills you're building um, that is going to serve you in the business world, right? So if I'm doing a pitch, oh, people, it's kind of anxiety inducing to get up and sell your product and and talk to these people who might invest in your business right but it's like uh, i mean competed in front of thousands of people tens of thousands of people and it was just me out there like got on live television done done a few interviews like me talking to a room of like some some guys with money like i'll be okay like i had to look at michael jordan in the eye <laughs> <laughs> And I'm wearing his product and, and, you know, like, I think you have these experiences that like, that you build fortitude and you, that's one of the reasons why I went to business school. I was a human biology major, never took a business class in, um, in undergrad, but I realized a lot of the things that I was doing as an athlete, your, your own little business. And, um, yeah. And when I got to business school, a lot of the classes just clicked because I realized I had been even though I didn't know the exact names of things, I'd been doing a lot of the stuff that I was learning in the classroom in my real life before I got to business school. I appreciate you coming on. There, there's yeah. a, 
there's there's a select group of people that that you know make an impact and you connect with right away and i think that you know when when we first met early on in jordan brand days like there's a there's you know there's a level of intellect that you know not every athlete carries all the time you know they might have the mindset they might have all the skill but to to remain curious and to you know think bigger than the sport i think that's something we've always bonded over so i'm just excited for what the next step looks like you know where you can actually take a deep breath and not you know be running from class to class while doing podcasts while building a business while you know prepping for you know life after um and really dive into what that next that next chapter looks like i think that uh, you got you got a lot of great things coming and hope as coach because I I, I, I I would love to to be you know one of those first football athletes that, that are that are on that platform oh trust me I'm gonna hold you to that but <laughs> I appreciate you just having me on and also just like you you just doing what you're doing is such an inspiration and seeing how you're going after new dreams and big dreams and still bringing that work ethic to it is really inspiring and um, I appreciate like you just sitting down and talking with me and helping me figure out what I'm doing. Um, I just, yeah, I really respect your perspective on, on life after sport. Appreciate that. Thank you, Corey. Great meeting you. It's great meeting you too, Dan. Thanks for listening to Playing Business. As you know, Dan and I value good discourse and perspective. So let us know what you agree with, disagree with, or what you'd like to hear in a future episode. Always appreciate a good review or a rating and be sure to subscribe. Thanks to the Owen Discourse and Audio Up team for the production of the podcast and see you in the next episode.